tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue through our, our Bible teaching, and tonight's message is on the book of Jonah. Um, if you've spent any amount of time in the church, you've been taught this. You know, I know that it's a popular Sunday school story, you know, of the, the fish swallowing the prophet to do God's will. But I don't think that the Sunday school story of Jonah is a very accurate story. As we begin to look at this book, you know, we see a very angry person. You know, he's hardened by life and life's experiences. You know, and, you know, so we have this, this angry prophet and this is one of the only books that isn't really about what the prophet says. It's about what the prophet goes through. You know, so as we are looking at Jonah, you know, he's this rebellious prophet that's really angry at God. You know, and there's some characters in the story that really, when you look at it, respond in the opposite way of the way that you would think that they would respond. You know, they don't do what they would typically do. You know, we have this prophet of God that doesn't want to listen to God, doesn't want to do what God's asked him to do, and runs away from God. You know, we have sailors in this story who are supposed to be hardened and immoral. You know, sailor's mouth. You know, we hear all these different cliches. You know, but they end up having this soft, repentant heart, and they turn to God with humility, and they say that they're going to worship the one true God. We have the king of an empire in the capital city of Nineveh that is really a very murderous you know, empire. When they would take over lands, that they would really do a lot of damage. You know, they would have games that they would play, per se, as they go into different cities that the warriors would, you know, almost like Lord of the Rings and, and have a count of who killed the most amount of people. Or they would even go even further and who would be able to collect the most ears? Who would be able to collect the most arms? Who would be able to collect the most thumbs? You know, and they would have a game that they would play and, you know, murder wasn't enough that they had to torture and, and go further and, you know, and it was a way of them spreading fear throughout the region that if they, people knew that Assyrians were coming, that they would forfeit or they would surrender because they would not want to be brutalized as their reputation, you know, would say that they would do. So we have this king of this murderous empire who worships idols, who humbles himself before God, and we see his entire city begin to turn and repent. So God tells Jonah right at the beginning that he needs to go into Nineveh and preach against the evil you know, capital city. You know, and and Jonah is like, peace out, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm not doing it, I don't want anything to do with it. And he's like, I'm supposed to go this way, I'm going that way, I'm supposed to go west, I'm going east, catch me if you can. You know, and he gets himself on a boat, and he's off. You know, and he's headed to Tarsus, you know, which is a, a city, which actually, in the New Testament, that's where we get Paul from. Paul was a, from that city, you know. So, you know, Jonah is like escaping, 
you know, and he gets on the boat and he goes into the bow of the boat and he takes a nap. You know, and in the midst of his nap, you know, we hear a common story, you know, that the seas kind of raise up and it gets pretty crazy and the, and the seas are, are coming out of nowhere and it's crashing against the boat and it's pretty violent. That even these sailors who were pagans knew that this was like an act of God. God had done something and they instantly were like, what did we do? You know, everybody's like, it wasn't me. You know, so they start casting lots. You know, casting lots was very similar to like rolling dice. You know, you see it a lot through the Old Testament, you know, that they would, you know, cast lots or roll dice or, or roll bones. You know, there's we see it in different, you know, different traditions and different religions and different belief systems where they would, you know, seek out tea leaves or seek out bones, you know, in different pagan religions that they were trying to hear what God had to say in this way. You know, so they roll the dice and they come to find out that it's not anybody that they know, it's this guy who's asleep in, in the bow of the boat. So they, you know, confront Jonah and like, what did you do? And he's like, you're right, it was me. And they're like, well, what should we do? And he's just, he's like, throw me overboard. Like he has, he doesn't want to repent. Like he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He, he's almost like taking the selfish way out and like, you kill me, then God will be mad at you. And I won't have to deal with this anymore because I am definitely not doing what God wants me to do. And I know I'm not the only one, but I think some of us have had experiences like this where God is like, hey, you should not do this and you should start doing this. And we're like, peace out. Off to the races we go. You know, so here he's <laughs> on this boat and he, he's basically, you know, trying to get them to, to kill him, you know. And why is Jonah on the run? You know, what's he really afraid of? You know, and, you know, normally when we're running, it's usually there's a fear. You know, a fear of responsibility, fear of a repercussion, you know, fear of success, fear of failure. Usually there's this fear that, you know, we respond in, in running away. You know, so these pagan sailors are finally like, okay, fine. And they throw them overboard. You know, and, you know, Jonah's like sinking to the bottom and instantly that, you know, the sailors are repenting and, and asking God to, to forgive them for what they've done and that they're even killing, you know, Jonah because, you know, he made it very clear that he was a Hebrew and he was from the one true God, the, the maker of the land and the sea. Which is funny is that, you know, if you know that your God created the land and the sea and you get on a boat in the sea, it seems like you're, you're asking for it. But that's just me. I know in my attempts to run from God, I, I don't get real far. You know, and, you know, the, the, the beautiful verse that He's with you and will not forsake you, that He's with you up to the you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, when you're following God, you're like, yeah, God's with me. But when you're trying to run from God, it's like, leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you. You know, so, you know, here's Jonah, you know, standing up with his religious response, you know, amongst these pagans. You know, so he, he's making it very clear that, you know, I believe in the one true God and you guys don't. You know, but the pagans do what he asks them to do and, and basically throw them overboard. And the, and the storm subsides and they instantly know that, you know, that 
God is real and they repent and they say that they're going to worship the one true God of Jonah. So even in, you know, Jonah's actions, he's getting people's attention. You know, and at this moment, God being God, you know, I, I personally believe that I'm like God's personal practical joke. You know, and I know that some of you feel the same way because, you know, he saves us and then he makes us do a bunch of stuff that we said that we would never do. And we're like, oh, I'm doing it again. And I got to do that thing again. Oh, and he's making me do that again. So my warning to you is don't ever say I'm never going to do something. Because most likely what's to follow is God saying, oh, yeah, watch this. You know, and... I'm very careful these days about something I say that I will never do because God is real soon to follow and say, hmm, watch what I can do to Tom. (laughs) But anyway, you know, Jonah's like trying to drown and God being funny, he sends a fish and swallows Jonah. Now, we would say that this is, you know, a wives' tale, a fantasy, a fairy tale, But when I was an intern many moons ago under Pastor Rick, you know, he said there was a story, a documented story of a man getting swallowed by a fish. And then they caught the fish, and when they opened the fish up, there was a live man on the inside of it. Now, I know Pastor Rick, and some of you guys know Pastor Rick, and I've never known Pastor Rick to lie. So I've trusted the story. I have not researched it. You can research it if you want. But I'm going on Pastor Rick's telling of the story because he's a very knowledgeable man. However, part of that story is that the man that came out of the fish was bleached by the acid that was on the inside of the fish. Now, that's not in this story. We don't see that. But I find it peculiar because, you know, as we go through more of the story, I'll bring this back up. But Jonah's on the inside of this fish, and I can't imagine that it's like you have a lot of wiggle room You know, it's not like Pinocchio and the whale where he's just hanging out and he's having a fire and all this other stuff that's going on inside of that story. I can't imagine that any fish would have a lot of room on the inside of it for us to just chill and hang out. Like we're just going to throw a party now that we're hanging out inside of, you know, Moby Dick. But anyway, you know, in there, you know, Jonah has to change apart, sort of, because he never really repents. He finally is like captured by God and he's like, all right, finally I'll do it. You ever feel that way? Or am I the only one? Like, he lets us go so far in our little temper tantrums and we're little, you know, fits and we little stomp our feet like we're two, you know, and I want my baba, you know, like, but God has this funny way of just like, good luck with that. And he lets us run to the point where we're in such captivity or such pain or such bondage, and he's like, do I have your attention now? And he he begins to thank God. He begins to thank God that he never gave up on him. You know, and in all of my years of running in the opposite direction, when I finally came to the realization that Jesus was real, it blew my mind that he could love me. Because, you know, in my early 20s, I was an atheist, and I was a very arrogant, prideful atheist, and anytime any Christian would say anything about God or Jesus, 
I would ex- explode on them. You know, I didn't want anything to hear with it. The mumbo jumbo, the stupidness, the superstitions, the religion, it's God's made up, blah, blah, blah. And I was very boisterous of my disdain towards God and anything to do with religion. And I think that that's part of God's practical joke is that he came and saved an atheist and said, here, I'm going to let you talk about me for the rest of your life. Like, thanks for that, Jesus. But honestly, thanks for that, Jesus. You know, and, and Jonah begins to thank him that he didn't give up on him. You know, and I know for me, you know, I showed up in 2005 and, and I was trying to figure out the Jesus stuff and Jesus was moving like the Holy Spirit was freaking me out and you get the little tinglys on the skin and the hair standing up and you're like, what's going on in this place? I haven't taken any substances today that I know of. But God was compartmentalized for me. Like God was just to get me sober. You know, so I was trying to figure out Jesus, but I was only letting Jesus have one little tiny piece of my life. I wasn't allowing Jesus to be my Lord. I was allowing Jesus to take my addiction. And what I didn't realize is that I wasn't in control. That I thought that I could control God on some level. As crazy as that seems, in my pride and in my ego, you know, if I pray, then God needs to do what I tell him to do. And if I don't pray, then God needs to leave me alone. Now I understand whether I pray or not, God's still God. You know, and in that, because I was compartmentalizing Jesus and only giving him part of me and having this active sin life, you know, that that sin led me away. You know, and I allowed myself to get distracted by females and and being involved in sexual relationships. And when I got convicted enough of my behaviors, I didn't change my behaviors. I just left church. And a lot of times this is what we do because we don't want to hear that I shouldn't do what I want to do because I am still the master of my own world. You know, I am still in control. I am still God of my universe. I may believe in Jesus, but when I pray, I'm telling Jesus to do what I want him to do rather than asking him what I should be doing. You know, and I think in this moment, Jonah is like, all right, I'm ready. You know, and he he thanks God for not giving up on him, and he commits himself back to doing what God is asking him to do, and he says that he will speak for him. You know, and... I think that it's important that we realize that each one of us has something to do. I purposely, I believe on purpose that the enemy attacks this population of people with severity. I think that the enemy tries to take us out and he wins a lot of times. I would care to say that most of us in here, if not every one of us in here, knows somebody that's been taken through the disease of addiction or committed suicide through depression or, you know, have the consequences of their actions or someone else's actions and aren't here today. And I don't have answers for that. You're going to have to talk to big guns when you get up there. But what I do know is that, that we did not go through such hell 
and be attacked so much in our lives if the devil wasn't afraid of who we could become in Christ. And we have to understand that because of this calling, this means that life isn't always going to be easy. That we've been through traumatic things. You know, this population has a high ratio of sexual abuse in our childhood. I was molested from the time that I was six to the time that I was nine. This population has a high ratio of broken homes. Dad wasn't there. Mom wasn't there. Mom and dad weren't there. You know, that we were raised by people that weren't our family. You know, this ratio has a a big population of us, a, a big ratio of this population grew up in extreme poverty. You know, there was a lot of abuse. And that's not always the case. I've learned that there is no absolutes except Jesus is God. That's the only absolute that I can count on because there's always going to be some way that I didn't get raised that way, that didn't happen to me. You're right. That's not always the case. The devil attacked you in a different way. You could have grown up in the perfect home and had everything handed to you, and yet the enemy still took the rug out from underneath you and and attacked you in a different way. So, you know, we have to realize that some of the stuff that we went through is the attack of the enemy, and some of the stuff that we went through is the consequences of our own sin. And when we can really rationalize that, wrap our mind around that, is when I finally stopped blaming people and I could take the acceptance and the accountability for my own actions. And until that point, I can't really repent. Because if I'm still blaming mom and I'm still blaming dad and I'm still blaming the government and I'm still blaming Obama and Trump and, you know, Reagan and Kennedy and everybody else that was president when I was, you know, when I was growing up, Bush is the one that I should blame. You know, like, if I'm still blaming somebody, I'm not taking responsibility for my own actions. And until I take responsibility of my own actions, things aren't going to change because it's always somebody else's fault. And see what I see, what I see when I read this, is that Jonah went through something very painful. You know, a lot of us in here struggle with anger issues. You know, why? Because we went through something very painful. And in that fear, and the long-term fear turned into a callous anger, and I'm just pissed off at everybody. You guys know what I'm talking about? And until I deal with that, and saying, you know what? The person that's hurt me more than anyone else on this planet is me. I can accumulate everyone else's actions that hurt me and add them up, and it does not even come close to the amount of times I've hurt myself. So at that point, I can begin to release mom and dad and my childhood and the people that have abused me for a moment because I have to first get right with God for myself. And that's when I say, God, I have made a lot of mistakes and I'm ready to change. You know, and I'm ready to do it your way. See, when I came in 2005, I was trying to change my addiction. I wanted him to set me free from substances, but I didn't want to change my behaviors. And my behaviors led me back out the door into substances. Because I've come to believe, and this is my opinion, and you can take it for what it's worth, that I do not have a drug and alcohol problem. I have a pain problem. 
and I have a drug and alcohol solution to my pain problem. So until I deal with my pain, drugs and alcohol will be in my future. And until I repented of my issues and began to receive forgiveness for my stuff, that that began to, to get moved away, finally I could begin to see that Jesus has the ability to set me free. His grace is powerful enough to set me free. His mercy is powerful enough to set me free. And that same grace and that same mercy is free to every single one of us. We just have to turn to Jesus and start doing it His way. And then through that grace and realizing that God loves us in spite of what we've done or in spite of what's happened to us, until we begin to wrap our minds around that one thing, we aren't able to really release anyone else. And so often we're focused on everyone else and it gives me the excuse to keep doing what I want to do. Right? I'm tired of excuses. I also made this revelation when I was a baby Christian as I am so sick and tired of the devil destroying my life. Now, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that I want to blame the devil for that's really me. So the devil that I need to blame is the person I see in the mirror. So I can't go around blaming the devil for everything. Because the devil isn't really messing with me if I'm already on the on the pathway of doing destruction. Like, it might be a wind-up toy, and you wind it up and you just let it go. And he may have wound me up at some point and just set me off to do my own thing. But the devil's not messing with people that are already doing the wrong thing. He's messing with the people that are trying to do the right thing. So in the midst of us doing the wrong thing, the devil isn't paying any attention to us. And we can't blame the devil for our behaviors. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not evil taking place in our lives. You know, that we may be in addiction and there may be abuse that's still taking place. That's evil. Is God in there? Sure, he's protecting us to, to keep us alive, but also the enemy's trying to destroy us because if we get our feet underneath us for Christ, that we have a powerful testimony to share. And see, here's Jonah in the midst of this whale saying, all right, I surrender. And my question to you tonight is, are you ready to surrender? Because I believe that the, the bondage of the enemy gets tighter and tighter and tighter. When we run from God, it feels like claustrophobia. It just gets tighter and tighter and tighter to the point where we just can't move. And I think at this point, Jonah has finally said, all right, I'm ready to do it your way. And the fish spits him up on the beach. And the first thing God tells him is, go to Nineveh. So a lot of times when we jump off the ship, or we try to run from God, or we try to do it our way, or we try to, to get off course from God's will, or we try to abandon ship from sobriety, we end up running through the wilderness and going through the motions, and we always end up right exactly where we left off, isn't it? How many times have we been in a situation that we ran from step work, and the first meeting that we show up back up at is talking about the very same step that we took off at. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? Like four-step. I'm never, I mean, I'm never doing that. I ain't listening to that. I'm never doing a four-step. The first meeting we show up at, what's the topic? Four-step. Thanks, God. And that's the God consciousness that flows through the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. I, I know that God moves through those rooms because I've heard Him speak through people that don't even believe in the God that I say is real. So God has a funny way of moving whether you believe or you don't believe or what you believe. 
God can use anybody. If God can use a fish in this situation, and there's another story in the Old Testament where he used a donkey, that he can use me and you as well. So, here's Jonah on the beach, headed to Nineveh, you know, and he he's going, but he's not really happy about it. You know, isn't there times that we are forced to do things that we won't want to do, and we're like, fine, I'll do it. And we like stomp our feet and drag it, and I'm miserable, and oh, this isn't going to work, and this is stupid, and this is dumb, and rah, rah, rah. I don't know about you, but I've done that with God. There's times that God is like, Tom, you need to do this or not do that. And I'm like, nope, not listen. Not doing that. I don't want to do that. Nope, I'm not forgiving that person. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to hang on to this bitterness. You can't make me do it. And just it just gets worse and worse, and it grinds and grinds and grinds. And finally you get to this place where you're praying, and you're like, God, I need you to move. And he's like, forgive that person. And you're like, no. And you get so pissed off. You know, you're trying to be all peaceful in prayer and get some Jesus, and he's like, here, do this. You're like, ah! You know, it's like, because it's the last thing that you want to hear at that moment. Like, I'm praying to Jesus. Holy Spirit, shut up! You know, and it's like, you're having this war with God. You're trying to have all peace and tranquility in prayer and meditate and got some worship music on, and Jesus is like, hey, are you going to start doing that thing I told you to do? Like, Am I the only one that has these moments? See, I, I, I see that in Jonah in this. I see myself in this, in this moment. Is that Jonah's doing what God wants him to do, but he's telling God, this isn't gonna work, this is stupid, what's the point? And I don't know about you, but every time I do what God asks me to do, it, everything always works out. Doesn't that just piss you off even more? <laughs> Why can't I be right? Why can't I be God for a day? I don't know, but I do a horrible job at running my life. Horrible. Like the worst person ever that's in charge is this guy. You know, I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch. 100%. You know, and then Jesus shows up, and I start doing things his way, and he uses a very broken crackhead, in and out of jail, rebellious, angry atheist to tell people how much Jesus loves them. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and each one of us has a crazy story like this. Like, we shouldn't be able to talk about Jesus because of look at our past. But Jesus also says, like, I took care of that. I can take care of that if you give it to me. You know, and when we lay our past down before Jesus, and then we really seek Jesus for who Jesus really is, all of a sudden, this healing and cleansing power begins to flow through us from the inside out. And he sets us free from all the things that we've been running from. And it's like, that's not supposed to be so easy. Like, I've been running my whole life to make that pain go away. And you did it in a moment when I finally said, I'm ready to do it your way. And we're like, how can it be that easy? Because we want to be in charge. I want it to be my way. I want control. I want to, to have it to play out exactly how I've envisioned it to play out. I've projected this scenario a thousand times, and this is the solution that I've come up with, best case scenario, and Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm doing it this way. Right? 
And we fight that every single step of the way. And then we end up there and it's like exactly what he said it was going to happen. Like, And this is what Jonah's going through. He gets to Nineveh. And he's not even nice about it. Like, he gets to Nineveh and he's basically turn or burn. You know, it's like, you know, he basically says, in 40 days this city's going to be overturned. And in Hebrew, that's like five words. You know, and you can, you know, I hear it. Like, I hear his, his angst. I hear his anger. I hear, like, I'm doing what God wants me to do, but, uh, repent or die. You know, like, I hear that's the message, right? You know, Jonah's in this city, you know, of idols, you know, that the main god or goddess, I think, goddess that they worship is Ishtar. You know, it's a god, goddess of sex and, and murder. You know, basically, you know what I mean? And some say that this is where we get Easter from, which is the, the fertility goddesses, you know, and that's where we get the bunnies and the eggs, if you're ever wondering why we have bunnies and eggs on Easter. You know, it's these pagan religions that believed in fertility, and they worship these fertility goddesses that run around naked, and they would have temple prostitutes, you know, and, you know, they have sex slaves, and there's, you know, all these different refugees that they would make eunuchs, which means they're cutting off things. But anyway, you know, this isn't a nice place. And we have to have that in, pictured as easily as we can in church. But anyway, we have to have that pictured that this is not like I've showed up to church and tell you you need Jesus. You know, this is like going into the hood and telling people, like, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, God's going to kill you. Like, I can't imagine if we walked out of this road and down into Kemble Street and started running into people and saying, turn or burn, that we would have a really good response. Just saying. But here's Jonah basically saying that. Like, 40 days from now, God's going to get you. And, you know, he's walking through this city. And it's a, a giant city. It's probably bigger than this one, to be honest with you. And everyone starts pretending and turning. The king hears the message, and he cries out and, and turns his life over to God as the one true God. And once again, here it is. You know, here's me. I'm putting myself in this situation, but I'm telling God that this isn't going to work, and I'm pissed off that i got to do it his way. And I get there, and I do it his way, and the alternative that he said was going to happen happens, and I'm pissed off that it happened. Right? Can you Can you grasp this with me here for a second? So all these people are turning, and Jonah's angry. And see... I'm speculating, so I'm interjecting something into the Bible, so you need to understand that this is me and my opinion. That the Assyrians came and exiled Israel. Destroyed, killed, murdered. Cut off people's ears, cut off arms, cut off, you know. And here's Jonah, and he's really angry that he needs to go to this Assyrian city. Most likely someone that traumatized him and his family is in a result in that city. The very people that cause him pain, God's forgiving. Now, that's my opinion. But how many times do we have this anger that's held on inside towards people and we read in the text that God wants us to forgive them and we're like, no, get them. And we try to sick Jesus on people. Am I the only one? 
Am I the only one that wants Jesus to smite people with His almighty smiter? I want grace and mercy, but get Him. You know, He's a wrathful God. He's going to get you. You know, so we see Jonah in his religiousness not wanting the pagans to get mercy. You know, and there's times as Christians that we do this to people that aren't saved. Don't we? That we feel that we're better than. But I know for me that I was unsaved and I was an atheist and I came to a place of agnosticism and I was a pagan. You know, we've all had a journey to get here. But in God's, if it wasn't for God's mercy, none of us would be sitting here tonight. You know, so we see this, this message that God is doing things that we don't agree with sometimes. What if God forgave some of the people that traumatized us? Man, that's a hard pill to swallow. But what I've come to realize is that the cross paid for all sin of all time. Past, present, future. You know what that means? That there's ISIS members who are planning bombings right now that have murdered people, that have chopped off Christians' heads, and you know what? There's going to be a day that they're going to be saved. There is child molesters and there is murderers right now that are committing those acts as I speak that one day they're going to be forgiven and we're going to run into them in heaven. You know why I know? Because I'm a sex addict, a crackhead, and a thief and I'm standing here preaching about Jesus. You know, the son of Sam Killer from the 70s in New York City? He's in an upstate New York prison, saved, telling the parole board that he doesn't want to be paroled because his mission of God is to let other people in prison know that Jesus loves them and he wants to stay in prison. And you can look this stuff up. You can look at his pictures when they arrested him and you can see the demonic look in his face and his eyes and then you see this softened man who loves Jesus. That God wants to work in ways that go beyond our ability to give Him permission. Because if you're anything like me, there's people that thought I shouldn't be here. And yet here I sit. Or here I stand and here you sit. Figure that out. You know that God wants to move in situations in our lives, in our family's lives, in our enemies' lives. Because the cross has been paying for their sin. Now, I know for me, I had to go through my process with this. You know, and I'll use this one story is that I was molested from the time that I was six to the time I was nine. You know, and it, and it messed me up. You know, and all through my teenage years and into my early twenties, I never talked about that. Because that's not something you talk about. You bury it. And I used everything that I could to make that pain go away. My early teenage years, it was sports and pornography. Eventually, drugs and alcohol came into the equation. 
you know, and, and sex and, and, you know, it escalates. You know, it starts with a hit of a joint and ends up with a crack pipe, you know, you know, and sniffing heroin. I mean, you know, that we've all progressed, you know, and I remember going into mental health connections, you know, getting my mental health taken care of, and I was insane. Still a little bit insane, just in case you're wondering. <clears throat> okay, a lot. But anyway, <clears throat> I have a lot of insanity and a lot of Jesus, so somehow it makes peace with the world. But anyway, anyway, <clears throat> here I am, and the lady said, what's the one thing that you need to talk about that continues to, to trip you up? And I remember it just flooded me. And all this fear and anxiety, you know, I'm sitting there like I'm hardened and I'm tough, like nothing. And it's like inside I'm crying already. And I haven't even said anything. And I started talking to this lady about getting molested as a kid. And through that appointment, I was finally able to release myself because I blamed myself for a lot of years. But it, you know, I didn't stop it. I, you know, didn't tell on him. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. You know, and it screwed me up that I thought I might be gay through my, you know, you know, my teenage years. You know, my sexuality is messed up. I, sex just scared me. So I, I had a really hard time talking to girls because it was all messed up on the inside. Like it was screwed me up. So I'm talking to this lady and finally I was able to release myself from any shame and guilt. Because this person is sick. And because this person is sick, I was wounded. I was abused. I was taken advantage of. You know, here's a grown teenager taking advantage of a little kid. You know, and I was finally able to say that he was sick and it wasn't my fault. And that was like a giant step for me. Talking about it and releasing myself from any blame or shame. Now, it still took me years. I still had a lot of anger. I still wanted him to pay. I still wanted him to suffer. You know, I still wanted, you know, him to go through difficult things. I wanted him, you know, to be hurt. But in reality, I don't know what took place with him. But I know when I came to Jesus and I started repenting of my sins, that wasn't even on the table. I had this unforgiveness towards one of my ex-girlfriends. And it was really crippling me. You know, and I couldn't move forward. Like I was in this such depressive state because what took place through that relationship. And it just was like my heart was hurting. I now see God's work in all that. God used a relationship to get me to actually start caring about someone. And then that person cheated on me and betrayed me and went back to addiction. And I was left here actually caring about somebody for the first time in my life. And I'm 30, late 20s. The first time I could say that I ever loved anybody, I was 28 years old. And I loved someone and now they were taken away. And my heart was broken. And I couldn't put it back together. And I was going to meetings and I was crying in meetings. And I'm talking to my sponsor about my ex-girlfriend. And he'd be like, if you're going to talk about the girl, I don't want to hear it. Oh, a girl. Click. <laughs> it's not fair. Click. I just want to click. If you're going to talk about the girl, click. You know, like, I'm like, ah, who am 
16 months sober, going through all the motions of recovery and mental health and taking everything that I'm supposed to be doing and taking, and just absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. And I relapsed. Because until I deal with my pain, drugs and alcohol will be my solution. And I couldn't turn off the pain. And I went back to the drug of choice. I went back and smoked crack and started drinking and doing everything that I know how to do to make pain go away. Right? And I did that for a minute and that wasn't working real good. And people came, you know, 12 stepped me and said, you need to go to detox. And I'm like, I'm out of money or the cops are coming, so let's go. <laughs> right? Isn't that how we get sober? We run out of money or the cops are coming. Like, okay, I'm ready for recovery. We don't end up here on a good day. It's like everything is going right. I think I have all, I have paid all my bills. I have an apartment. No one's looking for me. I think today's a good day to get sober. Like that's not how this happens. It's absolute complete destruction. Right? And off the detox I go and they release me in three days because they don't keep people for alcohol and crack cocaine. They leave beds for people who have opiate issues. I mean, this is 15 years ago. Now the opiate epidemic is far worse and detox are a little different, but that's my case. They released me out of Albany and they said, catch a bus. And I'm like, back on a bus, I'm back at all. You know, you guy come. So what do we do? You know, we go back to the meetings, right? That's what they tell us. If you're going to stay sober, you got to go to meetings. And I, I knew that. Like, I, that was ingrained in me enough that I'm ever going to attempt sobriety. I have to be in meetings consistently. You know, I've learned it because I don't like going to meetings. I don't think anybody likes going to meetings. But when meetings start saving your life, that we like going to meetings. It's just kind of like the alternative is like worse. Like if I don't go to meetings, then I end up in places I don't want to be. So even as much as I don't like this place, this place is way better than that place. And that's the way I rationalize meetings. You know, if I don't want to end up in spots, I end up in meetings. You know, but anyway, I ran into a girl that invited me to church and, you know, and I came to celebrate recovery which is technically this meeting that's been changed. We changed the name into Ground Zero Meetings. And that was in 2005. And I heard this message of Jesus who wanted to come into my life and forgive me of my sins and heal my pain and, and, and transform my life. And although I knew some stuff about Jesus and although I went to church as a little kid, it's finally I was ready to hear it for the first time. That Jesus wants to come into our lives and heal our pain. Jesus wants to come into our lives and show us what a true loving relationship is really like. He wants to uproot bitterness. He wants to uproot pain. He wants to uproot abuse and traumas. You know, that we have to let him. That every one of us has a situation that brought us into recovery or brought us to Jesus. And it was painful. That we didn't get here when everything was going good. But I think that, that God wants to shift everything in our lives. That if we would really come before Him and say, God, I, I'm, I, I need you. I, I don't know how to do this. Now, I'm not talking about all the religious rules and, you know, up, down, sit down, up, down, 
sing a hymn. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about a relationship with God that's intimate and personal that I start talking to him like I'm talking to my best friend because I'm crazy anyway. I might start talking to the invisible person and the invisible person starts talking back and he has really cool things to say and my heart starts to heal. That's my interpretation of Jesus when I first got here. Now my interpretation of Jesus is that he's a very loving God and he's in everything and his sovereignty directs our path that it's not a coincidence that we're here tonight that it's not a coincidence I'm talking about forgiving in areas of trauma because there's people in this room that need to hear that. Now, are you ready to just step off and be like, I forgive, Tom? No, I don't think that we are. That, and that's not even even close to being reasonable. But what I do believe is that from this night forward that we can start saying, God, I need you. I'm tired of carrying this pain on the inside of me. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of being depressed and and uncomfortable. I'm tired of being my, my identity being in a trauma that happened 20 years ago. A lot of us have resentments that date back to before we went to kindergarten, and we're still carrying them today. Some of us have went through horrific things in our childhood that we really have never, never really dealt with or talked about. Now, is tonight the night to talk about it? No, not really, to be honest. But if you want to get a hold of me and, and we can chat, absolutely. You know, maybe you need to go to a counselor. Maybe you need to meet with Pastor Judy at the church. I know that that helped me. I know there's several of you in here that Pastor Judy has done amazing things with. And without her hand in my life and your life, we wouldn't be as comfortable as we are in this, this crazy thing called life. That she became a safe place to dump our traumas. Because she also went through it. And then when you sit across the, you know, from the other side of her desk and you look at how peaceful and happy she is, you're like, if, you know, my perception of that instance is like, if she can be like this, then I have, I can find hope. Because I didn't, couldn't find hope anywhere else. You know, you're telling me about Jesus, but I don't know if I believe all that stuff. But when you see the other people that have been through similar things that we've been through, we're talking about the freedom that Christ provides. As much as we doubt it, there's a little bit of hope that starts creeping in there and saying, you know what, maybe I too could have some of that. But because we have such low self-worth and we, we feel so horrible about ourselves, we don't want to allow ourselves to care or to feel again. And it prevents us from truly moving forward. See, I think this is a story about Jonah more than it is about Nineveh. See, I think God was trying to get to Jonah's heart. I think God had trying to, to get Jonah to forgive. And although God was forgiving Nineveh, it was really Jonah that needed to forgive Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to forgive Nineveh. Just like we don't want to forgive our abusers, our attackers, the people that have abandoned us, the people that have hurt us, the people that have causes us great harm and pain. I think that God put Jonah in the proximity of repentance so that he could see grace and mercy take place. And although it frustrated him, God was still interacting with Jonah. I think that God wants to interact with us in areas that we have said, I'm never forgiven that person. And there's a bitterness and an anger 
You know, I remember the day that I was working in the tattoo shop and my ex-girlfriend walked through the door and it finally was, I was done. And I went into my, you know, off in my piercing room and I shut the door and I had about this much Jesus, about six weeks of Jesus. And I said, God, take this away. And he asked me, is that really what you want? And in reality, no, I didn't want her to be taken away. I wanted her to do what I wanted her to do. So often, we aren't ready to release pain because we want the situation to happen the way we want it to happen. And as much as we want to give it to God, God's not going to do it our way, so we can't give it to God because God's going to do it in a way that I don't agree with. So as much as I want to give God something that's painful, God might not bring the schmiter out to schmite the people that I want schmited. What if God forgives the people that have harmed us? Is that okay? No, maybe. Yes is the right answer. But I'm not there. Okay. You know, and some people try to cram verses down your throat. If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Well, maybe. Also, me, my opinion, injected into the Bible, I think that if I don't forgive, I don't feel forgiven. That doesn't mean I can't be forgiven. I think that I don't feel grace because I'm not giving grace away. So I constantly feel judgment because I'm still judging. That's my interpretation of that verse. Why? Because I also read verses where He loves me, He never forsakes me, He'll never abandon me, and that He's faithful and just to forgive me if I come to Him and confess that He removes all unrighteousness. So how does that one verse compete with all those others? See, for me, I don't feel grace until I start letting it go. And then all of a sudden that grace begins to pour through me and I come alive. Now, in that moment, because that that woman wasn't going to do what I wanted her to do, I knew that I needed to let go of it, but I didn't know how because I've been just gripping it for such a long time that I didn't know how to really give it to God because I was so clenched. My fists were so clenched around it. My heart was so wrapped up in it that I had such so many thoughts that wrapped around this event and I've spent so many times daydreaming about what should happen and what was needed to happen and how I was going to... It was just this ball of craziness inside and it's like... And it's like God's just, let go and let God. And I'm like... You know, and it's like... In that moment, I realized, like, I'm not willing to let go of this. And in that moment... God gave me a present. And I started praying for the willingness to let go and the willingness to forgive because I just was not there. And that's true for some of us here tonight. I'm not ready to forgive that person yet, God. I'm not ready to forgive that person, Tom. I'm not ready. I want that person to suffer because I've been hurting for such a long time. They need to hurt how I have hurt not always the case. The person that prolonged pain is, is, is happening to is us because we're hanging on to a trauma. That person's off living their life, doing whatever they're doing. 
Maybe they're having a painful experience. Who knows? However, I spend more time thinking about that person than they do thinking about me. I guarantee it. So the person that's reliving the trauma, the person that's continuing to suffer is me. So I'm not forgiving them to let them go. I'm forgiving them to let myself go. And it's so important that we realize that God has a bigger plan. God wants to come in and, and, and set the captives free. And sometimes we're the captive even though we believe. That we can still be in bondage of certain areas of our life. There's Our identity is still trapped in a place, in a time, and it, and it wreaks havoc. And it's this emotional and spiritual cancer that lives inside of us because I've stuffed it down so far. I don't know how to let it back out again. And God's like, just give it to me. Let me in there. And we're like, no, I don't want you in there because you might do it a different way. But if freedom came, wouldn't that be awesome? And each one of us has to make that choice. I think that this story is to help Jonah release people that hurt him and his family. I think that God was showing how to forgive to Jonah. That if you let them go, that your anger and your pain and your bitterness would begin to leave because you're the one suffering. Because we see at the end of the story that that Jonah goes outside of the city and has his own little pity party because God forgave the people. I knew you were going to do it. You know, like, and like God kind (laughs) of covers him with a leaf. He's like, oh, relief from the sun. And then a worm comes and chews it down. He's like, oh, God. You know, it's like, you know, we get all this bitterness in us and we don't know how to let it go. And every little thing that happens from that point forward just makes us bitter. It doesn't take much to make an angry person angry. You know, I have road rage. No, you were pissed off before you got in the car. Right? So I just present this to you tonight. And I ask, would you take a step? Would you ask God for the willingness to let go? The willingness to forgive? Sometimes the person that you need to forgive is you. That you won't let yourself free because you have to punish yourself a little bit more because what you did was really bad, so you need to suffer because, you know, you can't let Jesus forgive you because, you know, the cross isn't enough suffering. Like, when you look at it, you're like, oh, damn it, Tom. Why you got to make me look at it that way? But it's the truth. Jesus suffered so that we could have freedom. Jesus died so that we could have the ultimate freedom from sin. So I just ask, would you bow your heads with me tonight? Would you take a minute? And would you let Jesus into this area? And maybe it's like, no, Tom, I'm not. Maybe tonight's the night that you say, give me the willingness. Give me the willingness to let go. Give me the willingness to forgive. For the first time that you, you take that one step. Maybe tonight's the night that you say, you know what? It's time. Jesus, take this. I'm ready to do it your way. I'm tired of being trapped inside the whale. I'm tired of being bondage. I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of being miserable. I'm tired of being angry. Jesus, I'm ready. Just take a moment. Let him in. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would meet each person exactly where they're at. 
I pray that your presence will come and minister their heart, minister their mind. I pray that this bitterness and traumas, abuse, things would begin to shift. Things would begin to come to the surface. As painful as it seems it may be, that if we let you in there, that we can trust that you're good and that you will protect us as we walk through some of these things. Lord, I pray that each person tonight realizes that you are very loving and very kind and, and you want to come into each one of these situations and walk us out of this painful place. Help us to know that you are good. Help us to know even though we went through painful things, it doesn't mean that we can't learn to trust you. I pray that each one of us grows in our relationship with you, that we start talking to you about the pain that's inside, even if we're not ready to talk to a person yet, that we'd start talking to you every time that we feel that feeling, that we'd start asking you into that place, asking you in to heal our mind, asking you in to heal our heart, asking you to take our depression, taking our addiction, taking our anxiety, asking you to fill up that wound, asking you to fill our heart, asking you to fill our minds. Lord, I just pray right now healing would move, that there would be healing in our hearts and healing in our minds. Lord, I pray that there would be testimonies of you moving in this, these men and these women, Lord, that could see how you are upon them and your ways are better than ours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.